0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. 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 So uh, it's wonderful to be back and um, together in this way. We will be um, doing this ceremony of of coming together for one and sometimes three days sashins throughout the rest of the year. Um, I when inzan sent out a um, an announcement about the about today she mentioned that we're having a full moon ceremony tonight and she also mentioned that this is the wolf moon seems like I always give a talk around the full moon and get to talk about the moon so this is the wolf moon um, as it's been named and um, some some believe um, because at this time of the year, wherever wolves are still uh, gathering that you can hear more walls. And um, one of the ideas is because it's, you know, January, it's winter, things are scarce and and part of their their crying or their howling is around um, being hungry. And there's another um, idea is that part of those vocalizations that the wolves do around the full moon, uh, around this time of the year have to do with with, uh, socialization, with calling out for the um, members of their pack and and seeing where they are and connecting with them. So when I heard that, I thought about us as wolves (laughs) calling out to each other feeling where our pack is, gathering together, taking refuge in each other in the warmth of Sangha, in the midst of cold, in the midst of uh, a time in our, in our lives, I was gonna say in our country, but really in the world where we're really a still, um, one could say in a state of waiting where we're still in, we're still, it's uh, still waiting, still in the midst of so much um, pain and death with the virus and all the restrictions around it. And um, it's kind of like the same as it feels at the end of January, you know, we still have a couple hard months of winter, at least up here the other day, it was 15 below zero uh, in the morning. Now it's a balmy, I think seven. (laughs) And we know that time of the year, this always affects me like the end of January, it's like, oh, I gotta get through February, you know, and probably March before I can start feeling some warmth. And I think it, we also are weary, you know, we're weary around the conditions we've been under for the last year. And yet we know we still, even though the vaccines are here in places, we still have a lot of more work to do, a lot more bearing responsibility for keeping ourselves and everybody else healthy. So so here's where we are, you know, that's the context in which we come to sit and support each other. And um, when I was thinking about what to talk about for this one day sit, I always think the same thing, you know, that this is, Um, a day of training, you know, it's a very practical thing in a way. It is both um, it is a very particular kind of training. So we're here together for a day of training. And um, I was thinking about how do we train? What are the ways in which we train? And we're training, what kind of training are we doing? And so we're always talking about our training as bodhisattvas. We're doing bodhisattva training today and um, as any training is it's both very nitty-gritty and mundane and it also is um, training for something that's quite profound so we have a we have a pretty awesome uh, training um, vision <laughs> which is uh, t- to have all beings no longer suffer. <laughs> so how do we translate that awesome vow into what we're doing moment to moment here together? And, you know, because um, because we're not together in a room, you know, what, what we are, keep realizing through this way that we're together, um, you know, there's many things that we do when we come together for a sashim when we're all in the same room. And even though we're not looking at each other, we're sensing who is here in the room and how can I feel them and how can I feel their support? And, um, and so as a way of trying to, to really feel ourselves as a pack, what I wanted to do is just take a moment and um, for the folks here who only see me speaking to the screen? Um, I wanted to um, name everyone who's here, and for those who are in the screen world, I wanted to name who's here in this room as a way of binding us together. So I'm just going to go through the screen and name everybody. So I'm welcoming Owen and Claire and Kristen. Yoko, Ava, Chris, Jenny Lee, Adrian, Kristen, Che, Terrence, Michael, Erica, Hillary, Andrew, Julia, Jenny, <laughs> Sorry, when I said Julia, the dogs both popped up. <laughs> Jenny, Jessica, Liz, Paula, Andrew, Rada, Matthew, Nick, Tom, Jeffrey, Jacob. Hi, Jacob. <laughs> and I see 415 I'm guessing that's EJ I don't know but welcome to 415 308 <laughs> and then here Ian, Ryan, Ella, Inzan, Kaishen, Carmen, Camille, Kiku, Milo, Molly. <laughs> That's our pack today. Oh, here they come <laughs> towards me. <laughs> so, because we have a full moon ceremony tonight, I was trying to, um, I was trying to find a way to make this ceremony relevant. For, um, I mean, it's deeply relevant in ways that are mysterious, but in a, a more practical way, really getting more intimate with the. Um, with the magic of the ceremony and what the ceremony is is um, requesting of us as, as train as Bodhisattvas in training so I thought I would just go through a little bit of that um, ceremony and the and the idea of ceremony in general just to get us a little closer to it it can feel sometimes maybe esoteric or a little far away or so formal we can't connect and I want to always am trying to find a way to connect the mundane with the profound, which are intimately connected. So I'm just gonna walk through that for a little bit. I won't get through everything I wanna say, but I'll I'll try to um, offer things that I feel like you can take back to your cushion for the rest of the day. So when we start a ceremony, and this isn't just the full moon ceremony, we do this every morning and some of you were able to join us, which was so wonderful this morning. Um, we start with what we normally call confession and repentance, but I would like to call um, acknowledging and witnessing our karma. So uh, the beginning of this ceremony is, you know, um, all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. And it feels really um, important to always highlight and center that we're this practice is always a practice of working with karma. We're always living in the world of karma, and in particular, we are really working on these uh, what we what you could call your negative habit patterns, our negative habit patterns, the karma that, as they say, is twisted and um, causes harm. And I really appreciate that we call this beginningless and ancient. One of the ways that we can deal with karma in in a way that is actually liberating is to acknowledge the incredibly awesome, awesomely tough, <laughs> I'll say in this context, causes and conditions that, um, that, that contribute to this uh, energetic field that we navigate, that, um, that, is, that manifests in greed, hate or delusion, really we could say grasping um, painful experiences and then reifying them in some way. So when we do that, we start right there, and we're we're acknowledging this is what we're working on as Bodhisattvas in training. We're always looking at karma. We're not trying to escape karma. And um, you know, as Ian spoke about this beautiful imagery of we're not um, we're not grasping it and we're not um, running away from it. So this is the first aspiration we have, and you can think about it each time you sit on your cushion, is I am committed to paying attention to the karma that arises in every thought, in every movement, in every part of my body. It it often arises energetically. And I am going to um, look at it from this perspective of it is not just mine, you know? We often say this in the IFOT training, like, this is not just mine. This is born out of, as we talk all the time about the myriad, oppressive conditions, tough conditions, the conditions of just being human and having loss and disappointment and pain. And if we think about it from the perspective of interconnectedness, I think it allows us to not grasp it so much. So there has been a a slogan I've been taking up around working with karma um, myself, which is, you know, I vow to not take my karma or anybody else's karma personally. (laughs) And And that is really easier said than done. Because we so much want to, there's so many little threads that allow us to grab it and take it up and then create whole worlds out of it and then we're lost. So when I say it's not personal, then I don't have to kind of beat myself up for my own arisings of pain and I, and I can be much more generous with others. So after we do that in the ceremony, then we do these homages. And um, so you, you, this is where we do all the bowing, 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 bowing. We go through three times homages, which are this expression of gratitude and respect for our awakened ancestors. And it seems, again, very interesting to go from karma and then, and then in the awesomeness of having to work with karma, we have to bring in support. We have to find who is it, who, who are our trainer, who are the people who have trained and can teach us. And so um, we do this as a way of remembering we're not alone, that we're resting, and we're actually in, we're actually taking the support from this um, this energetic field that's been cultivated for thousands of years, that's been given to us, and the Ehe Koso, this which beautiful. Um, words by Dogen is that he tells us that um, they're there for us in just a minute, you know, as soon as we acknowledge our karma, they're there with boundless compassion and patience and tenderness and clarity for us. That it's a field that's already here. And that we are not separate from it, that we're actually in that lineage of cultivation. And and realization already. And you know these these bodhisattvas, um, these Buddhas and bodhisattvas of compassion and um, wisdom. Samantabhadra, the one one of the Buddhas bodhisattvas, is a bodhisattva that rides on an elephant. In some imagery, they have it as, the elephant has six tucks, tusks, which um, go along with the six paramitas, of generosity and patience and so forth, enlightened activity. And, you know, we um, don't have to, we, we don't have to limit our, uh, our inspiration and our support from just those ancestors. They're like the kind of ultimate archetypes, but we could think about, who are those folks who have evoked this, who have embodied and allowed us to be inspired to go beyond our kind of, um, our small selves, you know? And um, there are people in our, in our lives in, in the world today, you know, I have, recently been very, being very moved by Reverend Barber's words. And every time I read them, I, I want to like jump out of my seat and go do something, you know? So this is the energy. And um, I was just reading how Biden in his office, he even understands the need to have these bodhisattva reminders and doing uh, work and being clear about the work, right? I think he has um, Cesar Chavez and Rosa Parks and MLK the statues, like he's got his statues, just like we have our statues. (laughs) and We can all bring those to our altars or to our hearts every time we sit down for a period of zazen. So that's the second thing we do to kind of create the conditions for this work. And um, in Yoko's beautiful talk last week, she talked a lot about arousing aspiration in this circle. And because this is such a, such a tremendous vow that goes against everything that we've been taught in terms of survival, uh, we really need um, to keep returning to it and using it. So the vow is connected to this idea of bodhicitta. Which is this um, aspiration to go beyond just us, you know, to remember that we're in this field together. That we may just feel it as a tiny little, tiny little flame, like a tiny little spark, or we could feel it very powerfully in a particular moment, which is this deep, heartfelt, authentic. Wish that we are no longer in pain. That nobody is um, will no longer have to struggle or suffer. And when I move from the mundane to this other this other realm of reality, and I see all of you sitting here, I know that each of you have have come here because of your Bodhicitta, because of the Bodhicitta flame in your own hearts. And if I could express just one thing or have you, have you really take in one thing, it would be to trust that. Let that guide you to remind you of it. And that's what we're all doing here today, no matter what our ideas of what we're doing here today. I know that's part of what we're here today for. And Yoko had mentioned about this understanding that the Dogen kept speaking about is like we want to let others be free before ourselves. How could that be? <laughs> you know. And this Bodhicitta is allowing us to recognize our deep interconnection So right from the start, we don't just speak about our own pain, we bring in the pain of the world, everyone's pain. And in fact, we give away our own merit, whatever happens, we just want to um, offer it to others. And we all have something to offer right now, not at the end of some 20 years of practice. So when we say, I want to free them, going back to the practical, one thing that I think is so important to be able to free other beings, what we do is we actually just free them in our own minds. <laughs> you know? So we think about freeing beings and, you know, maybe we're running around unlocking all the prison doors and, you know, feeding everybody and um, making sure everybody's warm and cozy and um, cared for. And that's one way freeing beings, but the freeing that we're talking about in this practice, in this particular training, is to um, free them from our own delusion that what we're cultivating on behalf of them and with them is an awakened mind, awakened heart. So that means that our practice is all about freeing ourselves from grasping thoughts about ourselves, about our ideas about the world, our expectations about the world, our identities, the limitations that we put on ourselves and others. It is rare that we really approach people in a free way in which we're wanting them to be free because we we put people in boxes to help support, are being able to have a stable sense of what the world is about, what based on our particular you know, mind, which is our world and we're attached to it. So as you're sitting in Zazen, you can look at, is the way that I'm meeting my own pain, you know, all the little beings in me, <laughs> are they free? Are they free to be here? Are they free to express themselves fully, freshly, you know, without argument? Do I grab them and make them mine? So this is, um, this is, a, this is a practice point here. The second vow is about delusions. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. So when we practice together in Sangha, or practice in our lives, with our, in our homes, with our families, with, with our, with our um, co-workers, we can see all the ways in which um, we are continually um, creating delusion. <laughs> it's very threatening for us to really be unadorned, to um, allow others to be as they are and for us to be as we are. It's, you know, Trumpa talks a lot about like, we have to keep making ourselves naked. We have to keep taking layers off letting ourselves be vulnerable, letting ourselves be felt and seen. And we have so many personas, we don't even know what they are, we have no idea. We take one off, we think, oh, we're clear and more authentic now, and then we see another one, (laughs) it's very sweet. And this practice is a kind of brutal practice because it's asking you to keep looking at all the ways that we um, don't allow ourselves to just be unadorned to be nobody, to be open, to let others be as they are. As I practice this myself, I just watch all the ways I tighten up against something because it's, it's starting to threaten something, you know, or, or certain things I don't wanna feel or experience like boredom, you know, or disappointment. Or pain. So this is hard. And then we also, of course, we hit our traumas. There's trauma everywhere. You know, it can get activated. We have, we, we have this, we have intergenerational histories in our peoples, between our peoples. takes so much courage to um, see that. See when when those places are creating delusion. Not to say that those those experiences aren't real. They are real. They just come up and cloud our ability to navigate. You know when when Yoko says, you know, when we say like meeting, you know, uh, inquiry and response come up together, but. When we, when we meet, it's a shit show often. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a, just a pleasant bow. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, rah, <laughs> and there's fire. And we get hurt, and we back away, and then we grab on to a whole set of protective systems. You know, I talk about this endlessly, I know. So the teachings, we keep having to um, go back because in a way, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're allowing ourselves to die. But we, it feels like we're dying. We're, we're just letting what isn't true and real die. And we do this a little bit at a time. And so this is why we do it in Zazen and why we don't talk to each other, <laughs> you know, why we don't look at each other. We we're trying to create a ground, a cultivation um, in Zazen and using the medicine of the paramitas and the loving abodes and the ancestors to allow us to sit and find ground and be still and be stable in the midst of these meetings. And we, are, um, we have to actively actually work against the um, story creation especially the ones we hold really dear and we work our way down to that. I mean, we can't do it all in a moment. It just feels too much. So we are gentle and careful and we move into our bodies. We become the earth, you know, and, um, and we're supported by each of us. You know, this is where we take refuge in each other. No, it used to be uh, that I thought that, um, I thought that my Dharma brothers and sisters were gonna save me, (laughs) that they were gonna make sure I was okay and take care of me. I have this idea of almost like we're leaning, I'm leaning on them all, you know, and they're leaning on me. And that's how we do Sangha. But it's not that way. We are are not leaning on each other, we're walking side by side with each other. And so sometimes, you know, what I wanted is to like, sometimes I wanted to collapse in somebody's arms my teacher, maybe, for example, Tia. <laughs> and maybe sometimes she let me collapse in her arms. She was a smiling face. And then sometimes I would come to her, like, all in distress, waiting for the embrace. And she would just look at me with a stern expression. No. You can, you can do this find your way find your ground you got this open up to this pain and we talk at the talk about Dharma gates are boundless I vow to enter them and ultimately, Um, what we find when we practice within five minutes of practicing or in various forms throughout, you know, all of our practice life is pain. There's no way around the pain. Pain, I think, is our greatest Dharma gate. And there's a, in the, um, Teachings of Shanti Deva, he talks about um, what the offering of pain is. Like pain um, definitely humbles us. So we also can very much grasp our spiritual attainments very, very easily. It's so lovely when we're foiling, joyous, and buoyant, and we start rising up and rising up, <laughs> thinking we're impervious, <laughs> we've transcended and then somebody looks at us the wrong way or something or a death happens. I mean, it could be anything from the most mundane to the profound and then whew, there it is. So it humbles us, it keeps us to the ground and, and practicing. It also um, is very importantly helps create empathy. So we go back to Bodhicitta and it allows us to remember all those who are in pain with us. And um, and then we can practice, it's like um, Groundhog's Day. We are in pain and we lash out, we hurt ourselves, we're in pain, we lash out, we hurt others around us over and over and over again, until finally it's like we've chewed that bone, there's nothing, no more meat left on it, we're, it's, we're tired of it, you know? <laughs> we throw it in a corner, it collects all this dirt. We're like, okay. Um, I'm done chewing that. I'm going to find another way to work with pain. There's just no satisfaction there. So uh, when we sit in pain and we don't move and we don't burn ourselves, we don't, we don't, We don't like, we get tired of creating a whole big juicy story for ourselves. We find that we almost, you know, again, this feeling, at least this is how it's been for me lately as I work at deeper and deeper levels of of grasping is dying. It's like the best analogy for me. We just die, we die, we don't move, we don't move, we die. we're always dying, this is really the state of what our lives are, we're dying. And then we're being birthed again in the next moment. And there's such grief that accompanies these these letting go of identities, these wishes that there is some solid, safe, wonderful ground, our children, our partners our teachers, our students, food, (laughs) spiritual practice, all of it, all of it is subject to change. Our bodies, our world, So the capacity to grieve is essential. We really learn to just live in a, in a way, and it's kind of a, a grief state. trumpa says, trumpa says um, the wish to be on a spiritual path is wanting to witness your own funeral. <laughs> so in a way, it's, this is, this is, it's funny to say, but it's so wonderful. <laughs> Because um, there's there is, uh, there is so much relief when we uh, we let our we we let these things um, die. I mean, it's almost a cliche. It, it's what you hear in every spiritual tradition, and then. By doing that, we can kind of enter into our world in a fresh way, in a non-grasping way where we're not um, rearranging the deck chairs, you know? There's a surrender there. And there's a relief when we don't have to be any particular way. What a relief. I can be like really mediocre, (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) So the paradox is that we just feel uh, so much more freedom and fluidity for ourselves and for everybody else, which is really the, the point. And it's a circle, we just circle through this and we, we um, hold on to the aspirations and when we have these insights and we have this letting go there's this uh, this bodhicitta has a chance to kind of get even more enlivened and then we hit more karmic pain and then we 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 keep going and um, this last vow buddha's way is unsurpassable i vow to become it we almost you could say i don't know if i'm quite there yet but I'm on the, I'm in a slightly different relationship to suffering, which is there is this kind of um, almost um, an okayness and or um, a curiosity, maybe even um, um, a welcoming, of suffering, because it gives us a chance to see what we're grasping, which gives us a chance to go through this process, which gives us a chance to be even freer. Yeah, 10 minutes, thank you. And then we're kind of grateful for life. We don't have to have it turn out a certain way, which it won't anyway, so we can be thankful for it. We don't have to see our pain as our enemy. We don't have to see anything as our enemy. So, um, And there's so much pain in the world that we wanna be there for in an upright way. So this is our chance to do that. So today for seven or eight more hours, you have offered yourself and offered, we offer each other a chance to, um, p- to actually um, walk through this. Tiny little pains, big pains, you know. Along with feeling the support and developing the capacities through these um, understandings of the practices of generosity and kindness and patience, and effort and stillness and wisdom. This is what we're doing. The other day, the other day, (laughs) uh, after one of um, our sits, Mimi had um, sent me a little poem. She didn't know where it came from. She just wanted to, share it with me and I loved it. It's such a little poem. A path extends before me, brilliantly, it is my life. And as I read that, I this enormous gratitude arises for this is my path, a path that gives me A fighting chance to be alive in this world and to take care of it. So, from the perspective of the profound, you know, we have this idea of karma and wholesome karma and the cultivation of wholesome karma. So, the fact that we are here together the fact that we're practicing, the fact that we've received these teachings, the fact that we're hanging in there together despite centuries and centuries of oppression and pain and trauma, we've we've borne and expressed onto each other. And we're coming here to sit down quietly and face it. And we wouldn't be coming back if we didn't feel some joy <laughs> in doing so, <laughs> you know? Where it's just life and we're thankful for life. So I'm gonna end with this poem that I found yesterday um, by. W. S. Merwin, and it's wonderful because you know, again, I, I it moves. You know, on a day like Sashin, it's you know, um, in, it's a chance to kind of let the whole world go and all of all of what we're carrying and responding to and feeling, and yet the whole world is here with us. Yeah. But we can take today to do this training. So this is called thanks. Listen, with the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridges to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water, thanking it. Standing by the windows, looking out in all directions. Back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging, after funerals, we are saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you. In doorways and in the backs of cars, And in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the door and the beatings on the stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks, we are saying thank you. In the faces of the officials and the rich and of all who will never change, we go on saying thank you, thank you. With the animals dying all around us our lost feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us, we are saying thank you faster and faster. With nobody listening, we are saying thank you. We are saying thank you and waving, dark though it is. The request is to maybe, if you can't say thank you, you can um, make a space for allow in not resist, feel into with steadiness and stillness, whatever arises today. And in that, there is some gaps that will appear. You know, there'll be space that appears. There'll be a, there'll be, um, a capacity that appears. So don't miss that either. You know, don't miss the gaps in the suffering. Don't miss the gaps in the thoughts and the feelings and the ideas of ourselves. Thank, welcome and thank those as well. They will offer space and capacity and the energy to be able to thank all the all the negative karma. And finally, um, we want to keep remembering that we are um, never ever doing this alone. And um, remembering all these people here with you today and all over <laughs> the wolves howling from Belize or <laughs> California, a state of New York or Brooklyn. We're together, and in that there's so much strength. So, so enjoy. Okay, thank you.